Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. For anyone who wants to make money and make a difference, grow and leverage your enterprise better, get more done in less time, outsource everything and create your ideal lifestyle. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. This is Rob Moore with Hiring and Recruiting Legends, part one. This could even be a three-parter. I believe the single biggest factor of scale, of leverage, of getting more done in less time, of making more money and making a difference, of growing your enterprise, maybe selling it, certainly making it global, is the people that you have in your business, the talent, the staff. I believe that it's even more important than systems, the people, because even the best systems in the world need people to operate them. And also, I have many discussions and debates because there's quite a lot of American entrepreneur educators that talk about the grind and the hustle and burning the midnight oil. And you're not an entrepreneur unless you work 14 hours a day. And I'd like to challenge that thinking a little bit. I think it's a little bit basic. And also, I had a debate just yesterday, my Elite Trainer Masterclass, where people were discussing the difference between the, the sky and the soil, you know, the, the vision and the strategy and the hardcore operational tactics, the admin and the details that just have to get done. And what came up in the debate was that you have to earn your stripes, you have to do every role yourself first and know how it works. And again, I'm going to challenge that. I also think that a lot of people think they can't afford to hire staff or people won't do the job as well as them or that their customers only want them, the business owner or that they don't want to manage people, and that's not what they got into business for. And I think all of those things will hold you back as a disruptive entrepreneur. So the first thing I'd say is get in, embrace, hire, look to outsource, look to discover and find talent ASAP now, yesterday. So everywhere you go and everything you do, when you're online on Facebook, when you're on LinkedIn, when you're walking down the shopping center, always have your radar and your antennae on. Does this person who's on this concession pulling people off the streets and washing their hands and getting them to pay 30 quid with this magic salt, are they an amazing salesperson that you could hire and get on commission only? Estate agents that you go and view houses with, does someone come across to you as a real talent? Is this someone who's designed a website for you and their designing and branding is amazing? These people won't find you when you're ready to hire them in one or two years or when you've got your HR processes in place. They will come into your life when probably you least expect it. And you always want to keep your radar and antennae on for talent. So I think that overrides everything because Progressive, one of my companies, we have a rolling recruitment policy and I think you should too. And what that basically means is we're always hiring. We are always open for talent. Now, when you're hiring in your team and you've got staff, especially if you're hiring for roles that staff already cover or new roles, your existing team, they could be a bit demotivated. They'll always find them on these online job sites or whatever. And they could feel that you're kind of trying to get them out or hiring above them or moving them sideways or down. So if you make it a policy and a culture that you have a rolling recruitment policy, which is we're always looking for talent no matter what, it gets rid of the worry, the fear from the team you've already got that they might be usurped. And you can get talent in your business when that talent is there, not when you need them. Because when you need the talent, it might take you six to 12 months to find that talent. If there's one little side note I can say to you, guarantee it will take you three months, maybe six months to find each hire on average. 
So when you're ready for them and you think you can finally afford them, and maybe even you've got a burning need, then it takes you three to six months to have them and you've got a much bigger problem. Now, there are kind of two schools of thought when, you, when it, you're looking to recruit and hire. And that is one, wait till everything's basically breaking and you're desperate and then hire because it keeps the overhead really low. And then the other school of thought is you hire in advance of the role. Now, Mark and I always used to be in the, let's wait till everything's bust. We want to really lean overhead. We grew our companies in the birth of the recession, if you like. So the, the good lessons for that were keeping the overhead low and seeing what happened to companies when they, you know, when, when they got hit by the recession and uh, seeing them having to let go a lot of, stu- of a lot of staff. And if they didn't let go a lot of staff, a lot of them went bust. And so we got that vicarious lesson, which was great. But the problem is when things are broke and then six months time you get someone in, they're even more broke than it could be completely bust. So I guess it depends a bit on your vision and also your kind of thinking. It's good to stay lean, but you can stay lean by keeping salaries low and commissions high and high remuneration on reward rather than fixed cost. I think if I were going back to the start, because people always challenge me and say, well, it's all right for you. You've got, what, 55 staff in the office. You've got over 100 staff that are outsourced. It's all right for you, Rob. You can have a role in recruitment policy. Well, I would say that. Of course I would, because that works. But I can sit here with volition and say, if I was starting again, what advice would I give to myself? And that would be that, hire quicker, hire for the future, i.e. start now. Because even if you're not ready now, you'll be ready if you find an amazing person. You'll make something fit for them because you'll see that they're great. So I would favour rolling recruitment and I would favour recruit for the future, not for the now and not wait till everything's bust. So get on it. Now, my dad used to say to me, he's a real old school business owner. He had pubs and restaurants and bars and he didn't have the leverage of the internet and he didn't have all these outsourcing websites like elance.com and onlinejobs.ph and all these other greats, your uh, renter coder, all of these uh, what, people per hour, the list could go on, all these apps where you can get everything instantly. And he used to say, do you know what, son? Two worst things about business are staff and customers. Now, if you're not from the UK, that's supposed to be a North Yorkshire accent. And I really want to get you out of that, ment- that mentality of thinking that having staff is a problem. You know, HR, you've got a performance manager and they always call sick when you need them the most. You know, all this stuff. I get that. That does happen. You know, don't get me wrong. They're all sickies. Fridays and Mondays, guaranteed, always the days where there's most sick. Sick, you know, with sick. Yes, sick. Uh, but this, this is the downside. But what about the upside? What's the upside? Well, you could, you could turn a, a £1 million business into a £10 million business. You could take your profit from 10% of £1 million to 8% of £10 million. Uh, You know, what would you rather have? And by the way, you're doing much less work. You're doing none of your own admin. You're doing none of your own system creation. Someone's selling for you. Someone's marketing for you. Someone's collecting all your on, online assets. Someone's repurposing your assets. Someone's managing your social media. And, someone, and people are doing all this for you. And then if you get HR challenges and problems, which you will, then you hire an HR manager that deals with all of the HR issues. So then you're another step removed. And this is what I wrote Life Leverage about, to get the old mentality of, you know, you've got to work really hard. A lot of people feel guilty if they outsource and leverage, like they're not earning their keep anymore. Or, or they really feel like to lead and inspire is to get at the, on, the, on the front line. You know, I, I am the infantry soldier and I, I'm going to risk my life to show you that I'm an, a leader. Well, If the general gets shot first, then there is no military strategy and there's a lost war. So it's okay to be the general and not to be the the foot soldier, if you like. Now, 
probably the, the most challenging stage of recruitment is the initial bridge going from you to having a team. You know, that initial gap where you think you can't afford it, where you've not got a lot of money coming in, where it's a bigger risk. You know, going from 20 staff to 30 staff or 50 to 100 is probably much less risky. So how do you do that? Well, I'll call that the bridge stage. You know, the bridging from being a one-man band to being a, a kind of like a real business, if you could, if you could call, that, call it that. And we started using family. So Mark and I burnt the midnight oil, hustled, we're grinding 14 hours a day, wearing it like, like a badge of honour, like it makes us a better entrepreneur. It doesn't, it just makes us a busier entrepreneur. And maybe a year in, we kind of thought, well, we need help here because we're stressed out. We're arguing with each other. We're not enjoying working with each other. You know, we're not spending time with friends and family, you know, and it's like, does it, do you have to have that trade-off? I don't think so. So what we did is we got Mark's mum to come in and do a few hours admin. And it's funny because we offered to pay her, but she said she'd do it for free. And that, that was a bit of like a light bulb because we could have got her in after one month of being in business and she could have done that. And then if she could have done a lot of the admin, let's say 10 hours a week off Mark, my business partner, how could Mark have used that 10 hours a week? If he'd have put that into more viewings, making more offers on properties, raising finance, managing refurbs, investing time into say writing another book or something like that, we could have doubled or tripled the money in that first year. So I'm not saying you're going to get 50 free staff, but if there is one thing I do agree with kind of hustling and grinding, it is using a bit of cheek, a bit of leverage, a bit of goodwill, family and friends, swap a few services. Instead of paying them, what can you do for them that, and what can they do for you? So contra or pro-rate services. Get friends and family, sister, uncle, mums, whoever to do two, five hours of admin or just to help you with a bit of system and process or something like that. And then as long as that time that's liberated, let's say that's 10 hours a week, is reinvested into key result areas and income generating tasks. And let's say your income generating task is worth £20 an hour and you've got 10 hours, that's £200 an hour you generate. And you might have got a bit of free work from your mum or you might have paid the outsourcer £10 an hour. So you might have paid 100 quid to outsource those tasks, but you're 200 quid in the new time you've created in a higher income generating task. So you're net £100 better, but also you're doing tasks you enjoy, making more money, building momentum and compounding. And the tasks that you hate, because if it takes your outsourcer or your mum 10 hours to do, it actually might have taken you 30 hours to do if you hate it or you're rubbish at it. I mean, systems, processes, techie stuff, I'm rubbish at. What it might take my... IT consultant or, you know, my kind of hacker and coder in the office to do in one hour might take me 10 hours and I still break it. So there's so much benefit here of, of starting now and just getting some small baby step outsource tasks. Now, back when we were hiring mums and family members and swapping services, there weren't all these outsource websites and apps and online PAs, you know, VAs. And there, were, there, there weren't sort of all the Facebook groups where you could kind of do these kind of swapsies. They just weren't. And so it was so much harder. And so I constantly get asked if I could go back to the start, what would I do? And whilst I'm really happy with my journey and really grateful for how it's gone and whatever challenge I got, I needed. So I would say not too much. Hiring quicker, embracing leverage quicker, working more on the sky and less on the soil, more on the strategy and less on the, on the operations. Not wearing hustle and grind and burning the midnight oil like a badge of honor. I, I, I know a lot of small business owners and, and small-time entrepreneurs. And it's, it's like working hard is a fashion accessory. You know, it's like something that they're, they're proud of. They wear like the stripes. But if you're working really hard at the wrong thing or the thing that you don't enjoy, you're not getting closer to your goal, your vision and your legacy. So once you've bridged, then you can make your first full PA. 
or MD or ops manager, uh, you know, your first proper hires, if you like. Now, I think the most two important roles are PA stroke or the admin and then some kind of operations manager to manage the day-to-day operations. So whilst every business is different and that's not carte blanche, if there's two you want to hire first, it's the admin assistants, PA, and, and, and I like a PA who does everything. Mark likes a PA, my business partner, more for business-related stuff, but I like a PA for everything, you know, a super PA, because it just liberates so much time so I can really work on the sky and not on the soil. And then overall operations is a bit of a higher level, higher than a PA, but, you know, actually be kind of someone that you groom and train to become the managing director, the CEO, who drives strategy and then kind of manages operations cascading down your organisational chart. Okay, so you're going to need an employment contract. Now, I suppose it's better to beg for forgiveness than ask for permission. And therefore, it's good to ready, fire, aim, rather than spend two years getting this all ready and have no one working for you. So what we did in the early days is we managed to get given an employment contract by an estate agent because Progressive in 2007 started as a property sourcing company and a property buying company from Mark and myself. So estate agent contracts were very similar to our line of work. You can get those easily. You could probably get them from a recruitment consultant. If you find it hard to get, apply for a job, get the employment contract, and basically copy and paste it as much as you can. Make sure that you can do that legally and you're not going against any IP. But if someone gives it to you, that's fine. Most people would you know, give you their employment contract. Why not? Or you could get it. So you want an employment contract. Mark and I worked for a property company in 2006. It was a great education, by the way. If you're starting up and you want to get an amazing education and maybe you want to de-risk being a disruptive entrepreneur and taking that leap of faith of no revenue, why don't you get a job for a year in the biggest and best company you can find that's doing the thing that you want to do? You will learn from the coalface. You'll get so much IP, insider knowledge, that if and when you do decide to run your own business, you can bring that forward. And Mark and I did that. But the guy was a, he was, he was a bit of an unorganised entrepreneur. Maybe there's a new podcast there. He's a bit of an unorganised, disorganised entrepreneur. And he had no employment contracts. He very much managed on a whim, which when he was on coffee and feeling good was great. He was like the best guy to work for. But he was so hot and cold. And when he was down, he was really down. And he'd shout at you in the office like a, he was ex, ex-military and ex-police. He'd shout at you, make you feel really small. Why am I telling you this? Because don't do that. But he had no employment contracts, no systems, no processes. And um, in the end, we left stroke, he fired us and he had no legal grounds to fire us. And he only fired us because he heard we were going to leave. And in the end, he breached unfair and wrongful dismissal. And whilst going through a court case wasn't something we wanted to do, we had to do that. And we actually won in court for wrongful and unfair dismissal because he didn't have a contract. So you want to have a contract, even if it's just a fairly standard one. You don't want to be going into those realms, those waters. Now, what you can do, which is quite a a useful little thing when you start up, is you can get these outsourced, retained kind of HR consultants or companies. Now, there are two types. There's the kind of much more corporate one, which is a big machine, and they'll give you kind of more sort of carte blanche processes. And then there's sort of maybe the startup ones or the one-man band ones. We had one guy called uh, Trevor Richards. Richards HR is brilliant because, yes, he'd give you the systems and processes, but he'd be able to have an off-the-record conversation with you and saying, well, in my experience, whilst, yes, this is the actual law, here's the grey parts, and out of 10 cases I've been in, here's what's happened nine times out of 10. Because that's kind of what you want, the reality. 
So we found that at a, a local business networking meeting, a business club, which one of my friends ran back at the time in 2007. So if you go to a local business club, you might find the smaller, more one-man bandy one. He might have worked for a bigger, almost like chain of solicitors who had an HR department and then broken away. And you could, we were paying him like 100 quid a month, something like that. And any staff issues, HR issues, employment contract issues, staff handbook, health and safety, all that stuff, which is like, Ugh. you know, you're a disruptive entrepreneur. You don't want to be dealing with all of that, but you do need it. We'd just ask him and he'd sort it all out for us. He'd give us generic ones that we could then fill in. He'd tell us what to do. He taught us about staff inductions and processes. Because my recruitment policy was, if you're good, you're in. If you're hungry, you're in. And if you'll do low basic and high commission, you're, you're in, which is not always the best. It's the disruptive way. And then my induction process was, there's the desk, there's the phone. Now get the fuck on with it. And that's also not great unless anyone is a, a motivated entrepreneur like you and I. But what you tend to do when you hire is you hire these little replicas of yourself. You hire mini-me's. And that's the worst thing you can do. You don't want a, a team of mini-me's because then you've got a load of things that aren't happening. So if we take me, for an example, I'm very much strategy, vision, go and do it and fix it later, iterate as you go. I like to say, I love kind of, look at me. I went quiet. I've never been lost for words in 10 years. Yeah, so anyway, that's me. I'm the kind of really high on the personality profiles. And if I've got a load of me, then no systems, processes, management and organisation is being done. And all it is, is a, a fight for all those high level strategic tasks. So you do not want to hire a load of mini-me's. What that means is you'll be hiring some people you don't like. You'll be hiring some people you think are weird. You'll be hiring some people who are really great at what you're rubbish at and you'll never really understand them. If you can understand their genius, you'll think they're a genius in this area, area but you'll still find them a bit weird. And that's good, by the way. I find Mark slightly weird, the way he thinks. Now, I understand him, and I know he's true genius now, and I love him for who he is, and I love him for the fact that he's not who I am, because, hey, if there were two Robs fighting for the limelight, then, you know, nothing day-to-day is going to get done. And if there are two Marks doing all the operations and tactics, there's no strategy, vision, direction, legacy, etc. So do not hire a load of mini-me's. Make sure you have good contracts of employment. Get an outsourced HR consultant who can give you all of these. It'll be worth the small retainer that you'll pay. Then you want a job description. So you've got your employment contract. You want to have a good job description. Now, again, how do you get a good job description? Well, you get one from the company that you admire the most. Now, that's easy to do, isn't it? Because you or someone else applies for a job, you'll immediately get the job description. You want a job description that clearly denotes what the role is, clearly. Not anything and everything. It's got to be specific. And you'll want one that's a bit quirky, a bit inspiring, one that's maybe a little bit left field, one that really reflects your culture, the uniqueness of your company. So take time to make, that's like an advert for your business, the job description. People will come and work for you based on that or turn jobs down based on that. So make sure you have a job description. So you've got your employment contract, you've got your job description, then you have key result areas in the, uh, the job description, the employment contract, which can be two parts of the same whole. And the key result areas are the three to seven things they absolutely must fulfill to their job, for their job, in their job to keep it. I like, they also link to MSOPs, which are minimum standards of performance. So if, you, if you're looking at this visually or you're writing this down as I talk and you've got literally it on a piece of paper, you start with the job description at the top. Let's say it's half a page. Don't make it too long. Then you'll have the key result areas underneath that, three to seven bulleted things, one to two lines only. 
So it might be responsibility for managing, leading and sharing the culture of your department. It might be overseeing all key performance indicators for your department. They're just some examples. Then underneath the key result areas, you've got MSOPs, minimum standards of performance. And they are the minimum things that have to happen. So it might be if you're a salesperson, it might be 50 calls a day. It might be 45 hours a week. It might be minimum £5,000 a month in gross revenue. And that might, you might have in brackets, that's prorated over three months. So it's 15000 every three months. And then you might stipulate that if they don't hit that, then there's a performance review that happens. And then you have minimum, minimum standards of performance to that role. Now, when you do that, this is a great way to de-risk hiring. Because if you make the minimum standard performance financially related, and that amount is, say, between two and a half and four times their salary, then you've completely de-risked hiring anyone. Because the worst thing that can happen is they bring in two to four times their salary. And if they're not, then you can have a performance review, which is why aren't you? How can we help you? And, you know, maybe you need to put them on a performance plan, which is you need to hit this target by this time frame. You know, we need to review your performance. Then also, when you have performance reviews and performance management plans, if in the future people, you have to let people go, which isn't nice, but it has to happen from time to time, the worst thing for your culture is dead wood in your organisation and people who aren't bought into the culture. They will just, you know, one bad apple ruins the whole batch. You've got a history of performance reviews and criteria not met, documented, so that if you have to say to them, look, I need to kind of give you a proper warning now that your performance isn't good enough and you need to up it by this time frame. So if, if then you have to ask them to leave, or you're covered from an HR perspective, because what you can't just go is say you're fired. And yeah, you see it on all these movies and you listen to it in all these, you know, American audio programs. Hey, fire them, and you, you know, or you're fired. That's not real. It's just bullshit. The reality is you don't just go, you're fired. And if you do, you'll be in a tribunal and you've got to be very careful about that. At my ex-boss, he was like that. And I'm quite an emotional guy and I wear my heart on my sleeve and I've certainly felt like I've wanted to fire someone on the spot before. And uh, I never actually have, which I'm kind of proud of because I'm surprised at that as well. You have to give them a chance to improve. You have to give them some steps to follow. Now, you don't want to make that your main job. That's why you have an outsourced HR company, if you like, on a retainer. Now, once you get big enough, what you do is you have an HR manager and you start your own HR department. So sickness and absenteeism is a, a KPI that you measure. Staff turnover is a KPI that you measure. So if you have a staff member that starts going over 3% sickness, you probably have an issue there. Maybe that they're just susceptible to being ill. Maybe they're pulling sickies. Often if people are absent or sick a lot, it could be a reflection that there's, they're overworked or you don't have enough staff or there's a cultural issue or they're being bullied or A, B, C, X, Y, Z, they're not inspired. So certainly if they're at 5% over a long period of time, of course, then you need to have a meeting about that and that needs to be your measure. Now, each company, each niche will be different, but we, we, we monitor that if it's anything over 3%, there needs to be a meeting and, and discuss, not pointing the finger or blaming them or accusing them, always from the angle of, hey, you know, your sickness is quite high. Are you okay? Is there anything we can help you with? Can we make the culture better for you? Always start with that road. So measure sickness and absenteeism. Measure it on every staff member. Measure it on every department. Create league tables, not to stick up a pin up on the office. Have league tables. You'll find when certain departments are more stretched and less resourced, this will happen more and that will increase. 
Fridays and Mondays are always the days people seem to be sick or absent. Funny that, isn't it? And you also want to measure and track staff turnover. So with us, 15% or less is good. 20% or more is a bit of a worry, but it, t- it depends if we're in high growth mode. So if we're in high growth mode, we might accept 25%. It also depends on the niche and on the industry. So very low level retail will have really high staff turnover, you know, and maybe a very steady, more corporatized, mature industry might have less than 10%. Now, of course, I'm talking relatively generic figures here, but we've done some testing in our own businesses and anything under 20% is good because we're, we're a fast growth business. We're 35 to 50% growth every year and we have been for the last, well, we're in our 10th year now. So we accept that. That's okay. If we had a less than 10% staff turnover, we probably wouldn't be growing quick enough. So you want to measure that too. How many staff do you have at a certain time? How many left? Why did they leave? Because that's important. Because if they're all leaving with stress, that's a a red flag, isn't it? If uh, some are leaving because they're going on to new roles, it might mean that a competitor start up and they're poaching you. So this gives you real insight because you often won't hear it from your staff first. So measuring the staff turnover, tracking it. I'd probably say six months or 12 months measurement tracking is good. So you can go year on year, six month on six month. You can then retarget. If it's really high, you can go, whoa, what are we doing? We need to have a recruitment drive or we need to redo our vision and strategy meetings. We need to sort of re-educate about our culture. We need to maybe do less things. Maybe we've got a really bad apple in our high level of management that's kind of really disrupting the, the organization. So they are great measures that most companies I know don't measure. Staff, absenteeism and sickness and staff turnover. Okay. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast on Hiring Recruiting Legends Part 1. Tune in for Hiring and Recruiting Legends Part 2 and Part 3. I'm looking at my notes here. I reckon we might have a four or five part series on this. Remember, if you think other people could benefit from the Disruptive Entrepreneur, I'd be so grateful if you could share this. So if you share this on your social media profile or platform, then... I will give you access to the Disruptive Entrepreneurs community if you're not already on. And I will give you a signed copy of Life Leverage. Uh, My publisher still give me permission to do that. I know that's going to end at some point, but I'll do that for you. I'd love you to leave a review on the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast homepage on Stitcher or on iTunes. It just helps us get the message out there. My vision is to create global financial freedom. And uh, what have we helped? Nearly 400,000 people now, but there's 7 billion on the planet. So we've got a long way to go. So I want to thank you for tuning in. It's a real pleasure. I just want to say that I've really enjoyed doing this podcast. It was just a a kind of a little bit of a fun experiment to create something a bit different. And uh, I can't believe the feedback and the sharing and the hundreds of emails a week I get. I feel really grateful for doing it. Unless someone offers me a ridiculous amount of money and I decide to sell my soul, there'll be no ads. So uh, yeah. And uh, remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.